All right, if you got a Bible, you might want to turn with me to a Song of Songs. Song of Songs. Uh, my roommate in college, a guy named John, uh, is still my best friend today, one of my best friends, and he also happens to be a pastor. And John loves to tell the story uh, back when he was in seminary getting his master's degree. He took a course in public speaking. And one day the professor wanted to teach the students how to deliver an extemporaneous sermon. Extemporaneous means without preparation. Uh, because there, there are occasions when a pastor is asked to speak in public with no advanced warning and you've got to come up with something on the spot. So here, here's what the professor did. He had every student in the class write out a Bible reference on a little slip of paper, drop it into a hat. And then when it was your turn to speak, you reached into the hat, you pulled out one of the Bible references, you looked it up in the Bible, and you read it out loud, and then you had to immediately begin preaching a five-minute sermonette on that passage. Well, some joker threw in a verse from Song of Songs, okay, the, the Bible's erotic love poem, all right? Uh, John can't remember exactly what the, the verse was. I have a feeling it was something like Song of Songs 7, verses 7 and 8, which say, this is the husband speaking to his wife, your stature is like that of the palm tree and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. Hmm. Well, anyway, the poor dude who reached in and pulled this out Okay, he looked it up, he read it out loud, he turned um, a million shades of red, and then he had to begin immediately uh, preaching a five-minute sermonette, stuttering and stammering his way through this, this spontaneous message on sensuality. Well, Sue and I can't blame anybody else for the scripture verses uh, that we're using today in the preaching of this sermon because we didn't pull them out of a hat, we chose them. We ourselves chose them from Song of Songs, and there are some steamy verses among them. In, in fact, I'm, you know, I like to mark up my Bible as I read it, and so if you took my Bible and you looked at it next to some of the verses that we're going to read together today, I have written the words, Hubba Hubba. Okay, this is not ancient Hebrew, Hubba Hubba. It means, whoa, <laughs> this, is, this is hot stuff. So we're in the second week of a three-part marriage series called Woo, Woo, Romancing Your Spouse. And our text for this series is Song of Songs. So if you haven't found it yet, go looking for Song of Songs. It's just a little bit beyond the middle of your Bible. Psalms is in the middle, and then a couple books to the right of it is Song of Songs. And while you're turning, while you're looking for Song of Songs, I just want to publicly thank Sue for her willingness to do this series, co-preach this with me. Isn't it great when you're doing a marriage series to hear both from a husband's voice and a wife's voice? Isn't that good? Yeah, thank you. Well, what you need to know is that when Jim asked me to teach this marriage series with him, he waited until I said, sure, I can do that. Then... Then he told me what the text was, Song of Songs. I'm like, thanks a lot. That was rather sneaky. I think he owes me big time, like dinner out, right? Mm -hmm. well. That's when you applaud. Yeah, yeah, got it. Good. Well, as we learned last weekend, Song of Songs is a collection of love poems between a husband and wife. So this is not like a romance novel that has a storyline that begins 
and then ends. It is rather a love poem that circles round and round and covers many themes about marital love. And Jim and I are looking at three of those themes in this three-week series called Woo. Last week, the theme was faithfulness. Faithfulness, and if you were here and you're married, we gave you some homework to do. How did that homework go? Don't be telling me the dog ate your homework. Jim and I asked you to do, to do two things uh, as a married couple. Number one was to find a quiet romantic place and recite your vows, your wedding vows to each other. And secondly, discuss any little foxes that might be ruining your vineyard. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, little foxes that ruin your vineyard, that probably means you missed last week. So your homework this week is to go online and listen to last week's message with your spouse. And it's all about faithfulness. Well, today's theme is sensuality. Sensuality. And this is a hot topic in Song of Songs. It is hot and spicy. In fact, there used to be a Jewish tradition that prohibited anyone from even holding this book, Song of Songs, in their hands until they were a certain age, until they were mature enough to deal with some of the sensuous passages. But I don't want you to think that sensuous is bad. There is nothing dirty or crude or risque about sensuality in the context of a romantic relationship between a husband and wife. This is God's idea. Satan is the one who has twisted it. The Bible celebrates the sort of sensuality that is enjoyed in a faithful, committed, secure marriage. So we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about sensuality. It is one of the primary ways that God has instructed married couples to pursue each other. So if the woo has gone out of your relationship in this part of the marriage, maybe it's time to get it back. Yeah, so sensuality obviously has to do with senses. God has given us five senses, and we're going to take a look to see what Song of Songs says about each of those senses and the role that they play in romancing our spouse. So number one, if you haven't taken your, your program out yet to fill in the outline, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, number one is seeing. Seeing. If, if you're open to Song of Songs, go over to chapter four. I want to read to you what the husband, what the husband in Song of Songs sees in his wife, because he describes his wife's appearance in detail. Now, some of what he says about her may not seem so flattering as I read it to you. But hang in there, I'm going to explain it to you. It gets, it gets better with the explanation, all right? So chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, the husband says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Stop there. This is the word of the Lord. And woo, woo. All right, now, some of the descriptive phrases in these verses, 
Yeah, if you take them literally, they don't exactly make this wife sound like a beauty pageant contestant, do they? You know, teeth like a flock of sheep, neck like a tower of David. Uh, one artist with a sense of humor, he sketched a picture of what this woman would look like if you took all of these characteristics literally. Okay? Wow. So let me quickly explain what the husband meant by the colorful phrases he used to describe his wife in Song of Songs chapter 4. So keep your Bible open, follow along, verse 1, he says, her eyes are like doves. Okay, a dove is a peaceful, gentle bird. Her eyes are peaceful and gentle. Her hair, he says, is like a flock of goats. Uh, many Palestinian goats have long, wavy, black hair. In fact, if you spot a flock of goats on a distant hillside, it will look like the hillside is alive. It's kind of flowing. And so he's saying that his wife's hair is like that. It's luxuriance, uh, luxuriant. It's, it's flowing over her shoulders. She's like the chick in the Herbal Essence shampoo commercial. <laughs> Always wanted to do that. Verse 2, her teeth are like a flock of sheep. You know, they're white. That's what he's saying. Why, why? She's brushed them regularly with Colgate toothpaste with whitener, okay? And she's, she's, also, she's also been to an orthodontist because it says that each of her teeth, and of verse 2, has a twin. I mean, this just means that her smile is symmetrical, that her teeth are evenly spaced. Following how this goes, verse 3, her lips, her lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Uh, cosmetics were fairly common in the ancient Near East, so she had put on some red Mary Kay lip gloss, all right? Her temples are like a pomegranate. The, uh, the husband is now talking about the sides of his wife's face. Now, I don't know if you've ever eaten a pomegranate. Ever eaten a pomegranate? Okay, the inside of it, uh, it's just jam-packed with white seeds. He's probably not talking about the inside of the fruit here, or it would mean her face looks like a bad case of acne, Right? So he's, he's talking about the skin, the, the smooth skin of the pomegranate, the luscious red color of it. Her neck, on to verse 4, is like a tower. So it's long, it's, it, it's graceful. He says it, it's, it's decorated because it's like the Tower of David with the shields that hang on it. So she obviously has some jewelry hanging on her neck. And then finally, her breasts are like two fawns, hubba hubba hubba. Okay, they're soft. Her husband longs to caress them. So what are we to make of this husband's sensual description of his wife's body? And, and by the way, just so you know that Song of Songs is not a sexist book objectifying the wife's body. Okay, a chapter later, the wife turns it around and she says some things about her husband's body. In fact, she goes on twice as long as he did describing his body. So what are we to make of this? Sue, how in the world are we going to apply this? Your turn. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So, well, here's an application for today. Sensuality in our marriages begins with how we look, right? I mean, you don't have to be a knockout, but you should put some effort into your appearance. Remember back when you were dating, there was a time when you really cared about how you looked, right? But you might think, the chase is over. We're married, got what we wanted. Now we can relax our standards, especially at home. Maybe you dress up to go to work or it's casual, nice, but when you get home, what do you want to do? Put on that old gray hoodie, those ratty jeans, those comfy, disgusting slippers, right? 
And if you work from home or you're home day, all day with children, you may not even have to comb your hair, much less shave your face or put on any makeup. Who's going to see you? Who's going to see you? Only your spouse. And you used to work out back when you were dating. You tried to stay in shape. Well, that's no longer necessary. The wooing days are over. Or are they? I think Song of Songs is challenging us to look the best we can for our spouse. Can this be overdone? Of course. We live in an appearance-driven culture, right? We could spend so much focus, time, energy, money on how we look, how we dress, what we wear, shoes, earrings, you know, accessories, hair, you name it. We can spend so much time on working out at the gym and trying to be fit. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 are very clear that our outward appearance should never trump the internal beauty that God is looking for, that love and the character of Christ that exudes from our heart, from our mouths, and that external beauty is fading. We certainly need to hear that today. But at the same time, if we want the romance to return to our marriage, let's put at least as much effort into how we look as we did when we were wooing our spouse. Number two, here's a second sense that we can use to pursue the person we're married to. Number two is hearing. Hearing. We've just considered the married lover's appearance, what they saw in each other, but they not only saw that, they said something about it. They took time to compliment each other. And they used creative, colorful language to do so. Not the same old worn-out line like, you look good, you look good. No, these, these two people use a vocabulary that is just on and on and interesting. They refer to animals and plants and jewelry and precious stones and spices and perfumes. Very creative. Bible scholars tell us there are 47 unique words found in Song of Songs that are not found in any other Old Testament book. I, th I find that fascinating. 47 unique words. These two lovers gave each other an earful in the good sense of the word. So here's the question. How original are we when it comes to telling our spouse how much we love them? How original are we in describing how attractive they are to us or listing their admirable characteristics or expressing our thanks to them? Hmm. I've stopped buying Sue those uh, lovey-dovey greeting cards that Hallmark makes. Uh, I was reminded this, of this a week ago, this decision, when I passed the section of Mother's Day cards at the grocery store. Now, there was a day when I would stand for half an hour in the aisle, Mother's Day, looking for an appropriate card, you know, not finding anything, but I wanted something that would say what I feel about the wife of my three kids. Uh, part of my problem was I always got there too late. You know, I'd forget about it, and I'd get there... Mother's Day morning, and so I'd be standing there with other derelict husbands, gang members and such, you know, looking for an appropriate card. And then the messages on the cards, what you had to pick from, you know, when I walked by the section in Jewel just a couple of weeks ago, I, I stopped and looked to refresh my memory of what I was taking a pass on. I picked up a card that said, I believe we were meant to be, I always will 
I thought, how original. You know, or this one, someone like you happens once in a lifetime. I'm so glad you happened in mine. Yuck. Now, now, before you conclude that I'm an old Scrooge, because I no longer give Sue greeting cards, and by the way, she no longer gives me greeting cards, i got to tell you what we decided to do instead several years ago. Uh, we went out and bought, I think, by the way, this was a suggestion someone had made to us, somebody else's good idea. We went out and bought ourselves a leather-bound journal, one journal for the two of us. And now on special occasions, we write each other's notes in the journal. And this has several advantages over Hallmark greeting cards. First of all, it's personal. It's, it's, it's warm-hearted. It's how we feel about each other. So on Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays, anniversary, Christmas, special days, we will each write a page or so to each other. Second thing I like about it is it's a little more permanent. Back in the days of the cards, you know, you'd get a bunch of cards and we would set them up on our dining room uh, bureau there and they would sit there for a month, a mandatory month, until you swept them into the garbage. But now we've got our love notes saved in this journal. We could go back and review what we've written to each other in the past. You know, and another thing that, that I, I love about this is we're now tempted to write each other notes on uh, non-important days. So Sue goes out of town to visit her parents. I can expect when I go up to bed that night, there's going to be the leather-bound journal leaning up against my pillow, and I'll open it up, and I'll read about how much she's going to miss me while she's gone. So it's, it's a really wonderful thing to do. Our spouses, our husbands, our wives, need to hear from us warm, colorful, romantic, complimentary words. Uh, my grown-up kids, each of whom is married now, they, they have another uh, cool way to do this. They don't use a journal, but they're constantly posting pictures of each other on Instagram with such glowing comments beside them. So way to go. You know, when I read those, when I read what my sons-in-law say about my daughters on Instagram, I could almost forgive them for having stolen my little girls. Almost. All right? So that's just another way to do it. Another insight from Song of Songs is this, in this regard is that these two married lovers had special names for each other. Terms of affection. He repeatedly refers to her as you read through Song of Songs as my darling. And she calls him in response, my beloved. In fact, she uses that expression, my beloved, 27 times in this short book, Song of Songs. So if we want a relationship to be more than a business partnership where you use each other's proper name, if we want to restore romance to our marriage, then it may be good to sprinkle in a few terms of endearment into our conversations. When Sue's phone rings and she sees on caller ID that it's from me, she knows the first word she's going to hear is, baby. And when she hears that, she knows this guy wants me, and I do. So what is your spouse hearing from you? What is your spouse hearing from you? Now, just a footnote uh, to this point about what we hear from each other. There's a negative side to this as well. So if we want to kill all the romance in our marriage... Okay, if you want to kill it, just make a practice of using words with your spouse that are critical or sarcastic or nagging or impatient or angry. Negative words suck the woo right out of our marriage. Negative words suck the woo right out of our, our marriage. Every once in a while, I'll be at, out at a party with you know, a bunch of couples hanging out, 
I'll find myself in conversation with a couple where the wife and the husband are just speaking derogatorily of each other. You ever been in one of those situations? Kind of makes you feel a little nervous. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's not much going on in their bedroom these days, you know, other than sleep. Because this is a romance buster when negative words are coming out of our mouths. What is your spouse hearing from you? What is your spouse hearing from you? Good job, by the way. Good job, my love. Just saying. Okay, here's the third way to pursue your spouse with sensuality. Number three, touching. Touching. I will never forget the first time Jim and I made physical contact. It was the first official date in college. I mean, we had taken several evening walks together around the campus, but Jim invited me to this concert, and 10 minutes into the music, he put his arm around me, and my heart is pounding, and it, and, it, and it stayed there the whole concert, and I thought that was rather unusual, but anyway, he tells me years later what happened was his arm fell asleep, <laughs> and it went numb. I mean, he was afraid to bring it back lest he whack me on the back of the head, you know. He said, like the guy in Princess Bride, have you seen that movie where he's drugged and he can't control his arms? That was Jim. That was Jim. Here, I thought he wanted to hold me. Well, the truth is, when we began our relationship, Jim was much more of a touchy person, you know, in the good sense of that, than I was. For one thing, I was not raised in a family that is nearly huggy-kissy as Jim's family is. Second of all, I had really sweaty hands. I still do. And I was so afraid that he would try to hold my hand and then go, ooh, and wipe his hands on his jeans, you know, and never date me again. But in fact, he insists that he loves to hold my hand. So this is how I originally knew he was the guy to be my husband, because I finally found a man who didn't mind clammy hands. Just saying, that was the sign. But over the years that we've been married, I've come to appreciate more and more how wonderful touching is in a loving relationship. I know this sounds so basic, but may I encourage you to do more of it in your marriage. As you pursue each other in this area of sensuality, there are several things to keep in mind. First of all, the kind of touching that is modeled by this couple in Song of Songs is gentle, it's tender, it's affectionate. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. His left arm is under my head, his right arm embraces me. This same verse is repeated in chapter 8, verse 3. We're not talking about aggressive sex here. This is a description of sensitive, caressing, and tender exploration. Second of all, touching in marriage is about giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. In 1 Corinthians 7.4, the Apostle Paul writes that a wife's body doesn't belong to her alone. It also belongs to her husband. And a husband's body doesn't belong to him alone. It also belongs to the wife. What's his point? In that passage, it is that married couples are not to be self-centered when it comes to physical contact. They belong to each other. In other words, don't use touching simply as a way to satisfy your own sexual desires. Find out what pleases your partner. And don't withhold affection from your spouse as a way of punishing them or getting them to do what you want. 
Here's a third insight about touching. Don't always think about touching as sexual. Don't always think about touching as sexual. Sometimes it's just nice to be held, right? You have your feet massaged, have your hair stroked, to lean up against each other while you're watching the news and not have it had to lead to anything else. In fact, it has been said that human beings need at least 11 significant touches every day. 11. I don't know why 11. Why not 10? Why not 12? But 11 is what they say. And it's significant touches. So don't be going one, two, three, four, five, and say that you're done for the day. No. This is meaningful, significant touching. God created us with a built-in need for affection. Husbands, if the only time you touch your wives is that you're hoping it will lead to something more, your touching is going to come across as manipulative. One of the things I have come to appreciate about Jim is his affection for me. I mean, he touches me in a hundred different ways. Now, I could do without the pinching of the knees, you know, where it tickles and hurts at the same time. That's got to go. <laughs> but most of the time, I'm thrilled that he finds me irresistible. And I do. <laughs> uh, so we've looked at seeing, hearing, touching, that first three senses. Uh, senses four and five kind of go together. We're going to cover them quickly. Uh, they're really about basic hygiene. Uh, they're things that married couples sometimes forget. So here's number four, tasting. Tasting. And fasten your seatbelts before we read these next verses together, okay? If you're following along in your Bible, by the way, I, I find it's useful when you're hearing a sermon on a passage. Just write a note in the margin. So write tasting if you would, next to these verses. Chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Uh, go over to chapter 4, verse 11. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Go over to chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. The fragrance of your breath is like apples, your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Whoa. Whoa. Did you know this kind of stuff is in the Bible? The Song of Songs is not embarrassed to talk about a couple's kissing, and it describes passionate, tasty, sucky face kissing. It's described as tasting like wine or honey or tangy apples. Now, if you've been married a number of years, how often do you still kiss like that? You still kiss like that on occasion? Now, fr friends, these descriptors tell me, getting real practical here, uh, that this couple took care of their mouths. <laughs> okay, they brushed their teeth, they flossed, they kept breath mints handy. On a recent trip to the uh, dentist, I was reading a pamphlet in his office. You should never read those pamphlets. They're scary. Okay, and th this one on personal hygiene... I talked about gum disease, and according to the brochure that I read, 75% of adults experience some level of gingivitis. 75% of us, some level of gingivitis, which means that you know, oral care is extremely important. A hearty amen from dentists among us, right? Because without it, our breath doesn't smell so good and taste so good, and kissing is, you know, it's just not going to be the order of the day. So take care of your mouth and keep a roll of lifesavers in the nightstand next to the bed. All right.
the last sense that we want to talk about is smelling. Number five, smelling. Listen to these verses from Song of Songs about smelling. Chapter 1, verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Verses 12 to 14, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is a cluster of henna blossoms. Chapter 3, verse 6, who is this perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Chapter 4, verse 11, the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You get the idea. This couple smelled good to each other. Several years ago, an article appeared in USA Today that was entitled, Domestic Smells Bring Women's Passions Home. Domestic smells bring women's passions home. Well, according to the very first paragraph of this article, the right smells can turn a woman on and the wrong smells can drive her away. So what are the bad smells, guys, that we need to avoid according to this research, besides the basic B.O.? <laughs> I was amused to learn that women have an aversion to too much cologne. So guys, lighten up on the Old Spice, right? And women don't like the smell of charcoal grill. Who knew? Charcoal. I don't know if there's an association with the burnt burgers that come in on the platter or what. But seriously, though, they say smell is the strongest memory of all the five senses, right? It's the strongest memory. And I, I can vouch for that. I can remember smells from my childhood. If I smell a rose today, I am taken back to my father's flower garden. Smells stay with us a long time. So what does that have to do with romance in, in our marriages? Particularly, um, practically speaking, I should say, things like taking more showers. Okay, that might be a given, but especially before putting the moves on in the bedroom, you know, changing your clothes more often. I have to admit, I have a terrible sense of smell. I've been known to hold up a blouse and say, Jim, hang it up or hamper. You know, I just need help with that. But the point is care. You know, whether it's deodorant or foot powder, it's practical hygiene. And maybe get a gas grill and get rid of the charcoal, I don't know. Or at least don't burn the burgers. <laughs> so as we bring things to a, a close today, I want to step back from all of this practical advice about sensuality in a marriage, and I want to ask a bigger question. Okay, this, this is a question that was uh, worrying around in my mind as Sue and I prepared this sermon this week. Okay, why sensuality? Why did God create us with senses? You know, why does God devote an entire book of the Bible to encourage sensual romance making with our spouses? If three thoughts occurred to me I'd like to share with you in closing here. Why sensuality? Number one, our senses give us a taste of heaven. Our senses give us a taste of heaven. God says in his holy word that one day he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth over which his son, King Jesus, will reign forever and ever. And as you read the description of this new heaven and new earth with all of its sights and sounds and smells and tastes, this is going to be spectacular. And you realize that these five senses God's given us in this world are just a taste of what's to come. So have you ever surrendered your life to King Jesus? That's how you get into this new heaven and new earth, naming Jesus as your king. 
Second reason I think God has given us our sensuality is because our senses test our obedience to God. Our senses test our obedience to God. You might recall that the very first sin in human history was between a married couple. God took this married couple, Adam and Eve, and he put them in a virtual paradise, the Garden of Eden, and he said, you can eat from any fruit of any tree except that particular fruit on that tree over there. And Adam and Eve looked at that fruit, and it looked good, and it, it smelled good, and they took a bite, and it tasted good, and at that moment, they were cut off from a relationship with God. They chose unrestrained sensuality over intimacy with God. And that's the danger of our five senses, friends. Our five senses happen to be behind a lot of the temptation we experience in this life, don't they? And so the next time you're tempted, just remind yourself, I've got a choice to make here. I can either choose unrestrained sensuality, let it rip, or I can choose intimacy with God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When my heart is clean, when I'm free from sensual sin, that's when I experience God in my life like no other time. Here's a third reason I think God has made us sensual beings. Our senses inject romance into our marriage. Our senses inject romance into our marriage. God doesn't just order us to love our spouses. He makes it pleasurable. God makes it pleasurable to love our spouse. This, this is the icing on the cake. And if... if the romance has gone out of your marriage if there is no icing on, on the cake. What will you do to get it back? Okay, how will you put some pizzazz back into your marriage? Because God intends for your marriage to have pizzazz. Now, we've not given you, deliberately not given you any homework this week. We're going to let you figure that out for yourself. You've got five senses. Which one, if you're married, which one do you most need to work on and bring into the romance-making of your relationship? Okay, it may be that you, you need to pick up one of those leather-bound journals and start writing notes of affection to each other. By the way, one of the, one of the additional benefits of this, okay, back in the day when I was doing greeting cards, I would write sensuous stuff in those cards, and Sue would read it, and she'd say, well, we can't put this out on the dining room bureau for the kids to read. And I'd say, I think they know, honey. Yeah, I think they get this. But now it's, it's you know, privately in this leather-bound journal, so you can keep it safe and sound where no other prying eyes will ever see it. So maybe you need to pick up a journal, or, or maybe, maybe you need to set a date for, for making love. You heard that in church. Okay. It's because some of us who are young in our married relationship, and we got little toddlers around our feet, if we don't make a date for that, it may not happen. And if we've been married a long time, we're not doing this with enough regularity, and we may need to say, hey, Thursday night, I'll see you, you know where, right? I heard those wolfish laughs, all right. 